You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. The New Orleans Saints right now are playing the Green Bay Packers. And... um, Some of you may have noticed some belligerent folks wearing Packers jerseys and Packers gear just to taunt me today. So if my sermon comes across a little angry today, you'll know why. In fact, I might just tack on an extra 30 minutes to the sermon. But I just, I want to make a pact. We're not going to tell each other the score at the end. Um, I don't want to know the score. If you tell me the score, I'm going to be very mad, okay? Ryan, it's just a game. I know, just leave me alone, okay? (laughs) All right. So the title of my sermon uh, today is The One-Hour Workers. This painting that you're seeing on the screen, this is uh, The Red Vineyard by Vincent Van Gogh, painted in 1881. I love Van Gogh, and I love to work him into my sermon, so there you go. Um, This reading, this gospel reading that I'm preaching out of, it comes to us out of the, uh, the Revised Common Lectionary, as I've, I've explained to you. Um, the way that the lectionary works is there's a three-year cycle of readings from the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of these passages are uh, they're divided into a, on a weekly basis over three years, and it's a cycle. And about half the year or so, um, I like to preach out of that gospel reading of the week when we're not doing other things other series and and other topics and so that's what we're doing right now and the um year or the season that we're in of this lectionary cycle it just so happens that we're into the parables some of the parables we're in we're in a parable season of the lectionary so that actually started um last week we we talked about a parable last week and over the next month or two, a couple months, we'll, we'll, we'll be coming across parables. And I want to say a word about parables just before I get into this particular one. You need to know parables are not illustrations. I, I, that's how a lot of times people think of it, that, okay, Jesus is giving us an illustration. That's not really what a parable is. It's not merely an illustration. And if we think that way, it'll actually take you down the wrong path. Parables, the way Jesus used parables is they are Short stories that trick you into seeing the world from a different point of view. So there's a devious aspect to parables. They're tricking you to see something from a different perspective. And the way they accomplish it is they do it over time. Parables gradually reveal truths to you so that you can see, but you see it slowly in a way that you can receive it. I'll say it this way. Jesus often taught using parables so that people wouldn't see the truths of God's kingdom too quickly. Because the truths of the kingdom of God are so radical, so so subversive, that if it hits us too squarely, we freak out. And we're instinctively prone to reject it. 
And uh, as Emily Dickinson once wrote in one of her poems, she said, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. The truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. That's what Jesus is doing in parables. He's giving us truths, but he's doing it in a way that these truths sneak up on you so that they dazzle us gradually. Otherwise, if it just comes upon us too quickly, we, uh, we go blind and we, we can't see anymore. We stop seeing. We're not able to see. Well, um, uh, this parable that we're going to look at today, it's one that people are not too familiar with. It's not very popular, and that's because we don't like it. Uh, there are plenty of other parables that we, we think we like. We like the, the parable of the prodigal son, for example. But nobody likes this one, and I'm serious. Nobody likes it. We avoid it. So let's dig in. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. We'll read it together. Matthew 20, verse 1. Jesus says, now remember, remember what he's talking about here. He tells you in the first four words, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour and they received the same pay as we did even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Let's pause and pray just before we dig in. Lord, we pause right now acknowledging that you're in the room, you're present, and as we sung a moment ago, whether we perceive it or not, you're at work. And we invite you as best we know how to speak to us and may we consider what you want to say, not only with our minds, but let it sink and absorb into our hearts today. Sweep aside every barrier, every distraction that could conflict with your plan, your purpose today. And may your kingdom be established in our midst for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's step into this story. There's a guy who owns a vineyard. He lives up there in Sonoma Valley. He's got a vineyard. Let's give him a name. We're going to call him Jack. Jack, the vineyard owner, living in Sonoma Valley up there in the Bay Area. And uh, so Jack's got this vineyard, but what he needs is some workers. So early one morning, we don't know really what time, maybe 6 o'clock or so, let's say, around daybreak, Jack goes into the nearby town of Sonoma, and he's looking for some workers, and he finds some day laborers standing there on a street corner. And he says, are you guys looking for work? They say, yes. And he says, well, how about this? I'll put you to work. I got a vineyard. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest, it'll be low wages, but uh, it'll be a full day's worth of work. And he said, um, if you'll work all day in my vineyard, at the end of the day, I'll give you a $100 bill, each one of you. Well, they need it. So they agree to it, and they climb into his pickup truck, and he takes them to the vineyard. They go, they go to work. He comes back to the town a little bit later, uh, 9 o'clock or so. And he finds some more workers standing on the side of the road. He says, what's up? And he, they say, well, nobody's hired us. We're standing here waiting for someone to offer us work. And he says, well, you can go and work in my vineyard. And I tell you what, if you'll work all day, at the end of the day, I'll pay you whatever's right. So they go. He comes back into the town uh, at noon and also at 3 p.m. And the same thing. He says, hey, you're looking for work? Yes, we're looking for work. Go work in my vineyard. I'll pay you what's right at the end of the day. And then finally, he comes back. At 5 p.m. Now the day's almost over with. But he goes and he finds more people standing there. And he says, What's, why are you standing here not doing anything? They say, because nobody's hired us. We've been standing here all day waiting for work. Nobody's come. So he says, I'll tell you what, go work in my vineyard. So they do. Well, quitting time is at 6 o'clock. So they end up only working one hour. But at 6 o'clock at the end of the day, the vineyard owner, Jack, he calls his foreman over and he says, all right, it's time to pay all these people. These are day laborers. We pay them at the end of every day. And uh, so we're done for the day. What, let's go ahead and pay them. Here's the money and here's some instructions. I want you to go ahead and pay these people. Start with the group that was hired last and then work your way backward to the first group. So the foreman calls over these one-hour workers. These guys haven't even broken a sweat but he calls them over, and to each one of them, he gives them a $100 bill. Then he calls the group that was hired at 3 p.m., gives each one of them a $100 bill. He calls the group that was hired at noon, gives them a $100 bill. He calls the group hired at 9 a.m., gives each of them a $100 bill. Finally, he calls over the first group who have been working all day long. They've been working 12 hours, full day. And they're thinking, surely... He's going to pay us more than all these other folks. We've been working all day in the hot sun. So he's about to hook us up. And yet, to each one of these 12-hour workers, he gives them a $100 bill. And they say, dang. Although they don't say dang because they're not in church and they're not happy. <laughs> and you know what they do? They, they protest. They say, this is not fair. This is not fair. We've been working 12 hours bearing the burden of the day, working in this scorching hot sun, and these Johnny-come-latelys start working at 5 p.m. They work one hour, don't even have a bead of sweat, and you pay them just as much as you've paid us. You've made them equal to us. And Jack the vineyard owner steps in and he says, friends, I've done you no wrong. 
We made an agreement at the beginning. I told you, if you'll work a full day, I'll pay you a full day's wage. That's what I've done. I've not treated you unjustly. I've given you what's yours. Take what, you're, take what belongs to you and go. He says, is it, is it not my right to do what I want with my own money? Or do you, are you offended by my generosity? And Jesus finishes the parable with this one sentence commentary. He says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And there you have it. I'm just telling you the truth. People do not like this parable. Nobody. Nobody ever says, this is one of my favorite parables. Nobody. We hate it. People love the parable of the prodigal son, even though it's actually the same point. But nobody makes movies about this one. We avoid it. We don't like it. Well, let me start today. Let's, let's look first at the historical context of that day and age. And let's look at what Jesus was addressing immediately in his time. We'll not stop there, but we're going to start there. In first century Israel, during the time of Jesus, the prevailing thought of many, many Jews in the first century is they believed that what it means to be the people of God, to belong to the people of God, means, first of all, that you're a Jew. You're, you're ethnically a Jew. And you obey the Jewish Torah. And you follow the Jewish dietary laws. And you observe circumcision. So in other words, what it means to belong to the people of God is that you bear all of the external markers of Jewish identity. And if Gentiles want to become part of the people of God, let them become like us. Let them become a Jew. That was the prevailing thought. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that's how many, many people thought at that time. Well, when Jesus comes around and he begins ministering and starts this movement that just explodes over the next 300 years, he brings a radically different message. He radically expands the boundaries of what it means to belong to the people of God. That no, 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 it's, it's no longer based on the external markers of Jewish identity to become part of the people of God is based upon faith, allegiance unto God's Messiah and baptism in his name. That's what it means to be part of the people of God so that even Gentiles as Gentiles can get in on this thing. Well, at the time, you know, ethnic Israel wasn't so keen on this. And they reacted very strongly. I mean, you see as you continue uh, later on in the book of Acts, you'll read about this controversy that takes place in the early days of the church. Because many of these folks were saying, wait a second, man, we, we Jews have been bearing the burden of monotheism for 2,000 years. We've been carrying the torch of the living God, Yahweh. And now you're telling us that these Johnny-come-lately pork chop eating Gentiles can get in on this thing just like that? I mean, last week they were worshiping Zeus. Now they get baptized, confess Christ as Lord, and now you're saying they're equal to us? Yeah, actually, that's how this thing works. <laughs> now notice Jesus doesn't say all of that explicitly in this parable. He's planting seeds that will later on find their full fruition in the ministry of the apostles. He is laying some groundwork here 
in the form of a parable so that people will eventually be tricked into seeing it differently. But he's saying it in parable, laying the ground for, groundwork for what his apostles will deal with explicitly later on. For example, when the apostle Paul writes the book of Romans or Galatians and elsewhere, Paul is saying this stuff outright and explicitly, and yet everything Paul's doing finds its origin, finds its seed in parables like this one. So in other words, we need to learn how to read Paul through the lens of the Gospels. This is one huge reason why, rather than reading the Gospels through the lens of Paul, which causes all kinds of problems, but that's for another sermon. Well, that's the, that's the original context of this passage, this parable. And even though that's not our context, we still struggle with this. Like how many of you, just be honest, don't even raise your hand because I know, already know the answer. But your initial sympathies when you hear this, it lies with those 12-hour workers who worked all day long and they were paid just as much as the one-hour workers. Like there's something about it. Instinctively, we don't like it. We're offended by it. It just doesn't seem right. We, we side with them, the first group. But there are several perspectives to this story. Yes, there's the perspective of the 12-hour workers. There's also the perspective of the workers who worked in between. Then there's the perspective of the last-hour workers, the one-hour workers. Then finally, there's the perspective of the vineyard owner himself. There are multiple perspectives within this story. But for whatever reason, without thinking about it, we, 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 we um, what's the word? We, um, we just, what's the word? We gravitate. There it is. If I wait long enough, we gravitate to the first group and we see the story from their perspective. I think as Americans in particular, because of our ideas of self-sufficiency and our, our culture of um, free enterprise that breeds competition, I think we as Americans, we tend to struggle with this parable even more than other people do. And if anybody else in history had given this parable we would immediately dismiss it. Like, this is nonsense. Like if Plato or Aristotle or Aquinas or Augustine or Abraham Lincoln would have given this parable, we would say, man, that Abraham Lincoln, he was a fine fellow. Who doesn't like Abraham Lincoln? But he sure missed it on that one. But because it's Jesus who gives us this parable, we have to take it seriously. So let's, let's go to work on this. I want you to notice, first of all, there's a few things I want to show you here, but I want you to notice, first of all, that we have five groups of workers, right? We have the first group hired at 6 o'clock. We have the second group, 9 o'clock. The group hired at noon. The group hired at 3 p.m. And finally, the group hired at 5 p.m. So we have five groups who started working at five different intervals. Now, notice that the first group hired at 6 o'clock, the 12-hour workers, they went to work on the basis of an agreement that was made. The vineyard owner says, if you go to work today in my vineyard, I will pay you a full day's wage. In the, in the story, it's a denarian, it's a day's wage, I'm just calling it $100. So they, they made an agreement that I'm going to work a full day for a $100 bill, for a day's wage. The next wave of workers who started working at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., they did not have an agreement in place. They simply receive a promise. The vineyard owner says, go to work in my vineyard. At the end of the day, I'll pay you whatever's right. Then the last group, they don't even have a promise, let alone an agreement. 
The guy just says, go work in my vineyard, and that's it. So notice with each of these groups, there's an escalating level of trust involved. The first group doesn't even have to trust anybody. They have an agreement. They have a legal agreement in place. The next wave that started working at 9, noon, and 3, they have to trust the character of this vineyard owner. Because all he said is, I'm going to pay you whatever's right. So they're trusting that this is a decent guy who's going to do right by them. But as I said, the last group that worked at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., they don't even have an agreement or a promise. So there's an increasing level of trust. And notice, as the level of trust increases, there's an increased level of generosity experienced. In other words, when it comes to how we relate with God, the more we move towards trust and the more we move away from legalities, the closer we're getting to the way things actually work in the kingdom of heaven. But we still haven't gotten to the heart of this story yet. Yes, all of this is true. Yes, there's this issue of Jews and Gentiles. Yes, there's this thing about increasing trust and all of that. That's all there, but we still haven't gotten to the heart of the story. And the first thing that we need to realize is that it's what Jesus says insistently, that nobody was treated unjustly in this story. That's what we initially kick up against. Man, this is not fair. You shouldn't pay these guys the same amount as these guys. We want to say it's unjust, but in reality, nobody's been treated unjustly. No one. The first group agreed to be paid a day's wage for a day's work. That's exactly what they received. There's nothing unjust about that. The second group receives a day's wage for somewhat less of a day's work. The last group, the one-hour workers, they receive a day's wage for one hour's work. So the first group gets what they earned. They get what they deserved. Everybody else gets more than what they deserve, but nobody was treated unjustly. In fact, you can say it like this. Um, the only person in this parable who may have been treated unjustly was the vineyard owner himself, who ends up paying a bunch of people more money than what they actually earned. If anybody's being taken advantage of or being ripped off, it's the vineyard owner by his own choice. But why would he do this? Why would the vineyard owner choose to pay people more than what they actually earned? Is he just being generous for the sake of generosity? No. And this is, this is just stick with me here because I'm going to take you somewhere. This is what you need to get. This is the key. Those who worked only one hour, they didn't earn a day's wage, but they needed that day's wage. These are day laborers. They work one day at a time, hand to mouth, as we might say. And so, yeah, they didn't earn that full day's wage, but that does not mean they didn't need it. They needed what they were unable to earn. And the vineyard owner, he was more interested in giving people what they need than paying people what they deserve. And he was willing to do so out of his own generosity. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The silence is so thick in here. You can cut it with a knife. I will say it again. By request. 
The vineyard owner was more interested in giving people what they need than paying people what they deserve. And he was willing to do so at his own expense. When God's will gets done on earth, it's not people getting what they deserve. It's people getting what they need. And when that happens because of somebody else's generosity, Jesus says, oh, that's like the kingdom of heaven. When people get not what they deserve, but what they need based on someone's generosity, he says, oh, that's like the way God would run things if God were in charge. And if God were running things, people would get not what they deserve, but they would get what they need based upon somebody's free will generosity. When the generosity of God makes the undeserving equal with the deserving, that's the kingdom of God come to earth. Or there's actually another word for that. There's another word for it when people who are undeserving are made equal with the so-called deserving based on somebody's generosity. There's another word for that. It's the word grace. That's what it is. Now, why is it that our instinct, our initial reaction to the story is that something's happening that's just unjust? Something's happening that's just not fair. Why is that? And I want you to know, first of all, it's pretty much universal. Like if you're sitting here pondering all of this and you're reflecting, you're like, man, I don't know. This, 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 these 12-hour workers just weren't done right. It just doesn't seem right that they were paid just as much as these one-hour workers. I want you to know you're pretty much in the same boat as everybody. But it's very telling. It's very revealing of something. First of all, let's ask ourselves this. Do we begrudge generosity? That's Jack the vineyard owner's defense. When they begin to protest, he says, wait a moment, friends, I've done you no wrong. We agreed that I would pay you a day's wage for a day's work. That's exactly what you've received. I've given you what belongs to you. Be happy and take what you've earned and go. And as they walk, walk away, he says, or, or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you resentful of my generous heart? In other words, do you so view the world through the lens of competition that even though you've gotten what you've earned, when I choose to be generous to somebody and give them what they need out of my own generosity, you hate it? Is that what's happening here? Think about this. What would make these first, this first group of workers, what would make them happy? They received what they agreed to. They worked a day's, wait, uh, a day's work. They received a day's wage. They got what they earned. You would think they'd be happy and move on, but instead they're unhappy and they're griping and they're protesting and complaining. What would make them happy? Is it if the vineyard owner goes to the one-hour workers and says, folks, you worked one hour. Here's a few bucks. Here's your hour's pay. But they can't live on that. They got a family. They got kids. They got bills just like everybody else. Yeah, that's what would make us happy. Jesus would say, that's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's not what it's like when my will's getting done. Think about this. Why was the last group of workers, why were they hired last anyway? The vineyard owner, remember, he goes to them at 5 p.m. And he says, why have you been standing around all day? They say, because nobody's hired us. We've been standing around all day long. Nobody's hired us. Could it be just as simple as they were standing on the west end of town 
And Jack, the vineyard owner, starts looking for workers on the east end of town and works his way west. And that's why they were hired last. It just as easily could have been the other way around. Could it be just something as simple as a simple twist of fate? So here you and I are. We're, we're all lucky Americans. Lucky dog Americans. We live in this wonderful country, this great country. I got to tell you, I wouldn't rather live anywhere else. I'm so grateful to be an American. I'm, gr I'm grateful to be here. And many of you, not all of you, but most of you were born here in America. But have you ever wondered about this? Why were you born American and not a Somalian refugee? Why were you not born in North Korea? Think about this. If you were born in North Korea or Saudi Arabia, how would your life be different today? Do you think you would be like Southern Baptist or something? <laughs> See, we need to incorporate the word luck and lucky into our theological vocabulary because it would help us out a lot. You think, I know you think you don't like that word luck. It's actually a profound word that describes much of what's happened in your life. You're just lucky. There's no indication in this parable that the first group of workers did anything to deserve being hired first. They were just in the right place at the right time. And there's nothing in this parable that suggests that the final, the, the one-hour workers did anything to be hired last so that they would be in a position where they could earn the least amount of money. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But thank God there's somebody in this parable, the vineyard owner, who's got a kingdom perspective and says, out of my own generosity, I'm going to give these people what they need rather than paying them what they deserve. Out of my own generosity. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So here's the question. Is life a game to be interpreted through the lens of competition? like Cain thought? Or is life a gift to be interpreted through the lens of love like Jesus taught? How we react to this parable reveals the lens through which we look at life. Viewed through the lens of competition, this story looks unjust. But viewed through the lens of love, this story is beautiful. Let's say it this way. If you fear that someone less deserving will be made equal to you based on their need and God's love, you are still living outside the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you're not carrying out the values of our heavenly king who rules and reigns right now. And Jesus wants to come and he wants to put his arms around you and he wants to tell you, no, 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 my friend, we're all in this together. And you are your brother's keeper. And with me, I'm going to help you. You're going to learn how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're going to learn to love those one-hour workers who through no fault of their own were hired last just as you love yourself. So what do we do? What, what do we do with this? I've, um, I've taken you down this road. You're, I know you're thinking. I can see it. You're processing. That's good. It's messing with you a little bit. It's supposed to. It's a parable. But what do we do? I want to give you a couple things and, and we'll be done. First thing I'm going to tell you, though, is this. Don't try too hard to be first. Jesus twice brackets this parable 
saying, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He's saying that there's something wrong with this drive to be number one. we got to be first. So, Ryan, are you saying that we should try really hard to be last? No, you're still playing the game. You're still trying to be first. Learn to view the world through the lens of love instead of competition. Now, let me take a little bit of pressure off of you. I just want you to know, this is going to take the rest of our lives to get comfortable with. And by the way, I am fully implicated in this. I am not doing any better at this than any of you. Because just like you, I have been raised and schooled in a culture formed by consumeristic competition where I see through that lens. None of us can help that. Because we live here, we're formed by that lens of competition. And I'm just as implicated as you are. I'm just simply saying, in the end, it's the wrong lens. It's Cain's lens. One last thing before we come to the table for communion. Why do we automatically identify with the first group of workers? Is it not at all possible that we're actually the one-hour workers? Why isn't there this instinct within us to say, you know what, that one-hour worker, I'm totally that guy. Man, life and God and everything has been so good to me. I only worked like one hour, and yet God has been so good to me. I think we're off on the wrong foot the moment we cast ourselves as the most deserving. Why can't we just think to ourselves, you know what, if you only knew how little I deserve, and yet God has given me a full measure of his grace. I, I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. But God has poured out his grace without measure upon my life. Oh, Ryan, I never thought of it that way. I know. That's what I'm here for. Stand with me. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.